You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe that helps people who feel far from God to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. For more fresh content, check City Tribe on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. Enjoy the message and welcome to the tribe. Now, here's Doug Robbins. Well, how's the tribe doing today? <laughs> good, good. Well, it's good to see those of you that are worshiping with us here in the Cameo and those of you that are worshiping online. And if you're new, we've been studying through this last book of the Bible. It's kind of a mysterious book, The Revelation. So is it like the end of the world or, you know, should we be freaking out, you know, that the Antichrist is going to, you know, stick his mark on us somewhere or whatever? Well, don't panic just yet, right? Uh, So we've said that during this series, we've got to come at the book of Revelation with a lot of humility, right? There are a lot of people that I really love and respect who have different views of the end times than what I do. And so we don't study this stuff just so that we can learn how to argue with our Christian friends about the rapture, but we really study this so that we can be prepared for future events, right? And so we've said during the series, we want to live now with the end in mind, see? So we want this book to prepare us to live with the end in mind. Now, as I've studied Revelation, I've studied like five different views of end time events, and they kind of fall in one of two categories. You know, some people like to look at it as a past-present kind of reality, the book of Revelation. So that would be like what's called the all-millennial view. Most of my professors in theological training seminary were all-millennial. I think it's more popular to call it with some people realized millennialism. There are others who hold to what's called the preterist view that is becoming more popular these days. And a lot of these folks would say that John was really just encouraging believers in his day to endure through Roman persecution. So when you see things like the Antichrist, it may not be a particular person in the future according to this view, but it's really just symbolic of the Roman emperor who is persecuting Christians. And the focus of these kinds of views is really more about bringing the kingdom of God to earth now rather than some future type uh, kingdom. But then on the other side of the equation, you would have people who see Revelation more of a futuristic way. That would be what's called dispensational premillennialism. I kind of have some leanings in that direction in case you hadn't figured it out. But some in my group would say, hey, all millennialism doesn't do a robust enough job of dealing with the detail of the symbolism in Revelation. They would also say, hey, you know, the way you interpret the Bible here really does make God a guy who doesn't keep his promises to Israel. And people in this camp would focus a lot in the future. But what if... It was a little bit of both. What if Revelation did encourage believers in the first century to endure persecution and it looks to the future? And so that's why last week we said that the kingdom of God, it's the kingdom that's already and not yet. Some of us believe in a concept called dual fulfillment, that revelation prophecies, sure, they were fulfilled back then, but they also have future ramifications. So I want us to stop and pray and ask God to help us, right? Because you can see that this stuff can get a little complex, can it? So we need God's help. Let's talk to him for just a minute. God, Father God, please give me a word, a picture, or a thought for our church and my life today. 
And we pray it humbly in Jesus' name, amen. And so check this out. As I'm going through this stuff today, you watch for a word, picture, or thought that's for your individual life or perhaps for someone in your life. And I'll tell you this, that revelation is kind of like prophetic training because it gives you a sense of how God speaks prophetically to a person and how he still speaks to you and I today. But one of the main ideas I want to show you in our focus text today is that we can win all of our spiritual battles. We can endure through difficult times when we testify the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony or of our testimonies. See, Uh, so that's the one simple thing I want you to know today. If you're going to tweet anything, post anything, remember anything that I've said today, you remember that you can overcome when you testify the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. So I'll say the first half of that big idea, you know, testify the blood of the lamb and, and then I'll point to you and you'll say the rest with passion and conviction as if you've already had a full carafe of coffee today. You guys ready to throw down with me? Okay, here we go. Ready? Testify the blood of the lamb and... Let's try again, shall we? Okay, I don't want to be discouraging to you because you're awesome, but let's be even awesomer. Here we go. Testify the blood of the lamb and... That's what I'm talking about, okay? I love it when you do it that way. And I didn't make this stuff up. Go with me to Revelation chapter 12. If you've got a physical Bible, you might just leave it in Revelation 12. I know the reality is most of you are slackers and you'll just look at the screen, but take a look. They triumphed over him by what? The blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from Death, And we'll see this story playing out in four different scenes. Scene number one is going to take longer to explain, so we're going to spend a lot of time in scene number one. But look at scene number one of Revelation 12. The child, the woman, and the dragon. Go with me to Revelation 12, 1. A sign appeared in heaven, and a what? Woman clothed with, catch these details, she was clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 what? Stars on her head. She was pregnant and she cried out in pain, God, give me an epidural. No, she said, as was about to give birth. And then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red what? Dragon with seven heads, remember the details, 10 horns, seven crowns on his head, funny looking dragon, eh? Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. And so we've got a lot to talk about there, don't we? First conversation is who is the woman, child, and the dragon? What's represented there? Let's start with probably the easiest one, the child. The child is pretty clearly Jesus. Not a lot of controversy here. The reason we know that 
is when you look at the verse, it says the child is going to rule with an iron scepter or a rod of iron, some translations say. And you can go back to a messianic prophecy in Psalm chapter 2, and the same language is used of the future Messiah. You can go to other parts of Revelation in chapter 2, also later in chapter 19, and you can see that the Messiah, Jesus, is the one who will rule with an iron scepter. And you say, well, what's this whole iron scepter about? Does that mean Jesus is mean? No, it's a picture of a shepherd. Jesus is the chief shepherd, right? And shepherds protect their sheep with a wooden staff or a, a wooden pole or rod, if you will. And Jesus one-ups other shepherds by using a rod of iron. And when he protects his sheep, he does so with a rod of iron. So those of you that have believed in Jesus and follow him, your enemy in the spiritual realm is fixing to get an iron rod upside the head. That's the way Jesus protects his kids that he loves. Um, but look at the next character that's a bit more controversial. That's the woman. And my personal belief is, is that the woman symbolizes Israel. Now, the Catholic Church would say that the woman is Mary. And I understand why they would say that, right? Because, you know, Mary birthed a child who was Jesus. Then a lot of the people, a lot of theologians I've been influenced by, believed that the woman is the church. And I can see why they would say that, because a lot of times the church is described as a woman. But I believe it's Israel, and I learned this from a guy named Dr. William Newell, who has a commentary on Revelation that I'm sure is on all of your coffee tables. And he gives nine reasons why the woman in Revelation 12 is, uh, you know, is Israel. And I'm going to show you two of the most compelling ones for the sake of time. Look at number one, is that Joseph had a dream about the birth of the nation of Israel all the way back in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 37, verse 9. Look at how he described Israel in his dream. He said, I had another dream, and this time, look at the details. The sun and moon and 11 stars. This is Israel. And then fast forward to Revelation and the description of the woman. A woman clothed with what? The sun, with the moon, and under her feet, a crown of 12 stars on her head. It's the same, Israel and the woman. Now, look at number two. He says that Israel birthed Mary, who birthed Jesus, and Jesus birthed the church. And so it couldn't be the church because the child isn't birthed by his, his mother, right? And so the order of things is that Israel birthed Mary, who birthed Jesus, and Jesus birthed the church. So the woman in Revelation 12 makes sense to me that it's Israel. And the text says that the woman, during the tribulation, will have to flee from the dragon into it says the wilderness or like a desert area for 1260 days or for about three and a half years. And a lot of scholars will connect that mention of fleeing to the wilderness with a warning from Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 when he says you have to flee 
to the mountains during the end times. He tells his Jewish people, you're going to flee from the Antichrist into the mountains. Now, where are there wilderness mountains near Judea where the Jewish people were located? Modern day Jordan. It's where there's a desert. And there's a city there that perhaps you've seen on like Indiana Jones movies or something because it's, it's an amazing place to visit. It's called Petra and Jeannie and I visited there and um, it's this city carved out of stone in the mountains. Don't you love Jeannie's hair in that picture? You know, mine looks awesome too, but um, it's this place there where uh, people could easily flee and stay there and avoid Danger. In fact, some believers, Christian believers, believe that Israel will hide there during the tribulation in the future, so much so that they've gone there and stashed Bibles in the caves there to potentially encourage some Jewish believers who go there. But look, whether it's Israel, Mary, or the church, all of them overcome the dragon by testifying the blood of the Lamb and the word of your Testimony, so much as you have met him and know him. Now, that leads us to the third character in the story, which is the dragon. The dragon, uh, I believe, is Satan. Some of you are like, no, the dragon is my ex-husband, okay? Or the dragon is my ex-wife. Or the dragon, I interpret that as my teenager going through puberty. But Revelation 12, it, the dragon is Satan. And ever since the beginning of time, Satan has tried to destroy the woman Israel. That's why I believe all behind all anti-Semitism is the dragon and Satan. Throughout history, people have hated the Jewish people. In the Exodus story, the Pharaoh asked that all the Jewish baby boys be thrown into the Nile River to be eaten by the crocodiles. And Moses, by God's grace, escaped that. Then if you fast forward to the New Testament, when Jesus was born, Herod tried to kill all the Hebrew baby boys to get to Jesus. By God's grace, Jesus escaped that. If you fast forward to more recent history, Hitler tried to exterminate Jews, killed millions of Jewish people in the gas ovens of the Holocaust. And today, Israel continues to be in danger from certain Muslim nations. And as I say that, I gotta give the disclaimer that I'm not saying that everybody from every Muslim nation is evil. But what I am telling you is that Iran actually had leaders who questioned the scale of the Holocaust and they had one leader who even suggested that the Holocaust is a myth and didn't happen. And I think that everybody in the world stage knows that all this Holocaust denial is nothing more than revisionist history. But can I tell you that revision is not just taking place from the Muslim world, but it's taking place from the Western world. In fact, in 2006, there was an anti-Holocaust conference in Tehran, and it was mainly attended by Westerners, neo-Nazis, and the Ku Klux Klan. So behind prejudice against Israel and Jewish people is the dragon. Remember in the Bible, God said to Israel, I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. And here at City Tribe, we bless Israel. We love Israel. We pray for Israel. And look, even if you don't agree with my theology and you're a Christian, you could at least want to love your neighbor. And Israel is a neighbor that we want to love. 
and pray for. But remember, the text says about the dragon that he's going to have these seven heads. What's that all about? Well, seven in the Bible is the number of completion. And a lot of us believe that in the future, the Antichrist will actually have complete control of the governments of the world. And the text also says that, um, you know, he's going to have these 10 horns. Now, before I say that, uh, before I break that down, remember there are six world-dominating empires. You can go back and look at the Egyptian Empire, Assyrian, Medo-Persian, Babylonian, Greek, and Roman empires. Well, the number seven comes into play because many of us believe that the future Antichrist rule during the tribulation period of the end times will be the seventh of the world-dominating powers. Now, remember the text said that there are ten horns? Where does that come from? Well, the ten horns actually comes from the Old Testament book of Daniel. When Daniel says that in the future there'll be these, this group of ten, a confederation of ten nations that are involved with the Antichrist to control the future. We don't know who they are or what nations they'll be. Some people have speculated it'll be some variation of the European Union. I don't know, but we'll see in the future. But look at another thing the text says, another detail, that there are seven crowns on its heads. Well, that's connected again to the prophecy way back in the Old Testament of Daniel, where Daniel says the Antichrist will uproot three of the ten nations. And what is 10 minus 3, not a trick question. 7, right? So that leaves seven nations that the Antichrist will use to rule the world. The world will love him because he will bring peace. He will bring prosperity on the earth. But remember, it will be short-lived. It will seem like a dream come true. But when you do a deal with the devil, it always goes south because his character as a manipulator, a liar, and a murderer always comes out. And that indeed will be what happens in the future. But remember, the text says that the dragon will sweep a third of the stars out of the sky. What's that about? Well, that's looking backwards in time to the original fall of Satan when he fell from heaven. Look at a description of it in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 12. The prophet says, God says about Satan, you were the seal of perfection. Look at the description of him. Full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty. And you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. And if you want to do further study on the fall of Satan, we'll list a couple of texts from Isaiah and Luke that you can look at to study that further. But here's why I showed you that. It's because Satan in the past, present, and future, never appears and tempts us by coming as a devil with a pitchfork, you know, and uh, a, a long tail or any of that weird stuff. He doesn't come as some grotesque or detestable type of being. He comes with this perfect beauty, and it, it seems to be wisdom, what he says, right? And so let me ask you this question. This is where the rubber meets the road for most of us today. What temptation is in your life right now that seems to have the most beauty and seems wise? 
So for some, it's like, hey, there's someone who's not your spouse that you're very attracted to. It's like, she's so beautiful, or he's like a beautiful man. I don't know who, and it seems wise because after all, that other person who's not your spouse is so much better of a psychological match for me. Our personalities just connect, you know? It's, it's, it's a lie, see? For, for some of you, it's like, it's that possession or that thing that you really can't afford. And it looks so beautiful. That car is so beautiful. And it seems wise because you can afford the payments, see? Or maybe it's this one. This one's one that they're getting a lot of people with. Just bail out on church. Because if you just bail out on church, you can get the same information anyway by reading blogs and books. And you won't have to put up with the imperfect people who attend the church. See, it seems wise. But many people right now, because of the pandemic, have been isolated from church and dominated by the enemy because they bought in to that lie. The enemy's lies are formidable and our enemies are many. Remember, it says that the dragon swept a third of the angels from heaven with him. That what used to be angels are now demons. And in heaven, we don't know exactly how many angels there are or were, but it's millions and billions of them. So can you imagine the sheer number of demonic spirits that are out there trying to deceive you and I in the spiritual realm? And we must come at spiritual warfare with a lot of humility, completely relying upon the Lord. And have you ever known that Christian that goes into a spiritual warfare encounter with a lot of confidence, dare I say, cockiness and pride saying, I'm a demon slayer, right? The devil is pissed because I just woke up, you know? Well, uh, that is not the way we need to enter this type of thing. Remember the archangel who is like Michael, you know, Michael is a big deal. And when he, he didn't even confront Satan himself, but he said, may the Lord rebuke you, see? And so when we come at these encounters, we want to come with a lot of humility. And all we know is that we can testify the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony, our testimonies. That's what we know we can do. So that's what we get, we're going to do. Now, Revelation 12 tells us, that there's going to be two falls of Satan. There was the one in the past. There's one that will happen in the future. And let me show you that in scene number two, angel versus demon war. Revelation 12, 7. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Now remember, we've already seen one fall of Satan from heaven. This will be another one. Okay, because currently, even though Satan and demons have fallen from heaven, right now they can still access God in the heavenly realm. You've read the book of Job, some of you. If you hadn't, you can go back and read the Old Testament book of Job. And if you read that book in chapter one, you'll see Satan goes into the heavenly realm and he petitions God 
if he can torture Job. Remember that story? So Satan right now does have some level of access to God and his throne. Um, but what's gonna happen in the future that is described in you know, Revelation 12 is that Satan will have no more access to God. It's shut off. And one of the things that you notice in Revelation 12 is also God doesn't even go fight Satan himself. He delegates it to Michael. So Michael, go kick his butt. And I'm not thinking butt, but that's what I have to say in church, right? So he go kick his butt, take care of it. Um, this is what God said to Michael. And we also know that currently the enemy is accusing Christian people right now in the heavenly realm. He's accusing you, he's accusing me. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But look at scene number three, the triumph over the accuser. Revelation 12, 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who, look at this, accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. He's like a wounded animal, and he knows that his time is short. But look, did you see the main idea of that text? Is that right now, the enemy is accusing me, accusing you of stuff. Do you ever feel those accusations, those accusatory thoughts towards you? You think, you think the pastors are in this bubble that never experienced this, but you think I don't hear it? Oh, Pastor Doug, you may as well quit the ministry and go kill yourself and die. Your, your sermons suck, you know? Your sermons are boring. People are falling asleep. Your sermons aren't deep enough. On and on and on, you can hear these kind of things accusations, and you're getting them too. It's like, you're a horrible wife. You're a horrible husband. Why do you even keep trying? It's not gonna work. You're always gonna look at porn. You're just a pervert. You're divorced, so you're damaged goods. You're old. You're old and crusty, and your best days are behind you, so you may as well die because you have no purpose on the earth anymore. What they know is that if you turn your heart towards God, start telling your story, start engaging in intercessory prayer and praying that their ground will be taken away. They don't want you to tell your story, see? But can I help you with something if you felt those kinds of thoughts, accusations of every sort, you can testify the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. You can say like I'm trying to say, devil, I do not receive your accusations because his death covers my life. His death covers my ministry life. His death covers my parenting life. His death covers my marriage life. His death covers every facet of mine and yours if you believed in him because we have an advocate. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. Dear children, listen to how God talks to us. He didn't talk to us with accusation. He says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. This is not a newsflash. We all know he doesn't want us to sin. 
But if anyone does sin, anybody besides me? Okay, maybe you're perfect and uh, that, you know, but, uh, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, and he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's just religious language or Bible language that means Jesus took the penalty for your sin and for mine if you sought him. And when God looks at you, he no longer sees your sins, your imperfections, but he sees the perfection of Jesus Christ in you, who dwells in you. And because of the intersection between Jesus' death and your life, you now have a story. The Bible calls your story a testimony. And you can testify the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. Will you just tell someone next to you? Will you tell someone next to you testify the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony? Tell them. Good. I want you to stop just a minute, stop just for a minute and, and think about something. Think about a vision for your life and testimony. And I want you to close your eyes for just a minute. And I'm gonna ask the Holy Spirit to give you a vision or a picture in the theater of your mind. And in there, I want you to picture yourself Gently putting your hand on someone's shoulder and praying for them. I want you to picture you sharing your story of abuse with someone else who's been abused and ministering them and loving them through it to a new place of healing. Visualize yourself sharing your story with someone else who's in the fight with lust Picture yourself praying the guilt and shame off of them and encouraging them to keep up the fight until the day of final freedom from that struggle. Picture yourself calling down the power of the blood of the lamb, which overcomes the accuser. Picture yourself openly sharing your faith in Jesus with a friend or loved one who does not know him. And here's the hard one. Picture yourself giving your life for the gospel. Picture yourself faced with execution if you confess Jesus. And then picture yourself being carried up to the loving arms of Jesus. Now open your eyes. The enemy does not want you to live out your testimony in sharing your faith with others, telling your story, and praying healing on other people. And we see that in scene number four, the rage of the dragon. Look at it with me in Revelation 12, 13. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Those who keep God's commandments and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. And so the text says, 
that the woman was running from the beast and she got the help of these wings of a great eagle. Now, where have we seen eagle wings before in the Bible? Well, go back to the Exodus when God said in Exodus 19, 4, to the Jewish people, to Israel, I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. And God's gonna do that again with Israel. He'll carry them on eagle's wings. But you know what? He does the same thing today. He will protect you with a rod of iron. He will carry you from harm on eagle's wings. And I am not saying that we never have to go through hard stuff here on earth. Jesus told us we do, right? We do have to go through hard times. But ultimately, we, we will be carried on eagle's wings to him, no matter what happens in this life. But you know what? Just because we sometimes have to go through struggles, don't receive struggles you don't have to receive. See? There are times that we receive trouble and we don't have to. He protects us, you know? I'll never forget going to Liberia, Africa, and we were ministering in an area where some of the rebel soldiers lived, and these rebel soldiers had done some unspeakable atrocities back during their civil war in Liberia, but we were protected. Our ministry partner in Mexico, I remember when his son was abducted by the cartel, and they let him go because he was protected. I'll never forget one time I was in Managua, Nicaragua. We were ministering in an impoverished community there. And there was this woman only known as the prophetess. And she told me, you're protected. I thought, oh, cool, yeah. The next day, we got held up at gunpoint. And when they went to everyone and took everyone's phones and money, they got to me. I know I'm so scary. They ran away. They ran away and no one was harmed physically because we were protected. And the same God that protected then can protect you and I now. But look, he protects us for a reason. So that we can testify the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. That's why. And look, someone brought, was brought to this stream today or into this room today in order to receive an appropriation of the blood of the lamb. In other words, to receive a love relationship with God that you've never had. So how about we pray and talk to him and you can invite him into your life if it's your day. And just say something like this. God, I, I know I've screwed some stuff up and sinned. But right now, God, I choose to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for the sins that I've committed. Welcome into my life. And others of us who have known you for many years were given prophetic dreams or visions of our testimony. We've been given prophetic dreams and visions to overcome the lies of our formidable enemy. And so, God, we will not love our lives even to death. But we will be among those who endure to the end. That's what we receive from you, Holy Spirit, today. And we pray it in the powerful name of Jesus and for his sake. Everyone said, amen. So 
If you've got a testimony or a story you'd like to share with us, story of how God has worked in your life, go ahead and email that to us at info at citytribe.church because one of the things I love to do is read your stories of how God has changed your life. Another thing I want to remind you about is that we have our Eagle Dinner coming up on August, or October rather, the 22nd. And you say, what's an Eagle Dinner? Well, it's a dinner we have in honor of all the people that volunteer here at the church. So if you volunteer at Kid City, City Youth, Ushering, Parking Cars, Cafe, whatever, um, tribe, leading a tribe, um, make sure you're registered for that dinner. Go right outside to Margo. Um, at our Tribe Connect tent and uh, get registered for that. Um, Then the last thing I want to remind you about is one of the ways that we worship is through our financial stewardship. If you're not a Christian, don't buy into this. We totally understand if you're not going to participate in the giving money part of it. But those of us that believe in Jesus, we bring like a first priority, first fruit tithe, um, which means 10th at the storehouse, the church, in order to see more and more people prepared for the end Uh, however it may come. And so since we don't pass buckets or plates here, here's how to pull it off. You can mail it, text it, go to the giving stations in person. If you don't want to wait in line at the giving station, just hit it with, hit the QR code with your phone and that'll take you where you can tithe uh, online there. So, and and also if you're watching online, you go to citytribe.church slash tithe. So before you guys worship through generosity, let's stand up together and Put a hand out in a position to receive from the Lord. And I want to speak some words that I hope will land on you. Dear brothers and sisters, may he protect you with an iron scepter. As you walk from here, may he protect you from the disease. May he protect you from financial ruin or violence. And may you experience his blessing in every way. And may you walk from here filtering out the lies of the enemy, but receiving the truth of identity as children of the king who have been bought and paid for by the powerful blood of the lamb. And walk from here, not in silence, but appropriately, humbly, lovingly, testifying the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. You guys have an amazing Sunday and pray that God by his spirit will protect our godly Dallas Cowboys. Okay, you see you guys next time. <laughs> We're glad you were part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check citytribe.church.